It's August 17th, 1661, and another remarkable event is about to be uncovered by Aria, Rebecca, and Ali, the Retrospectors. I've been to housewarmings where the cops have turned up and told us to turn the music down and parties that ended the next day in scenes of general carnage, but I've never been to a party that was so over the top that it infuriated the head of state and got the host thrown into prison, as happened on this day in 1661, when Nicolas Fouquet threw what is generally regarded as one of the greatest parties in French history. God, you've not lived, Arian. Can you imagine, Rebecca? He has never been to a party where the host has been thrown into prison and then given a three-year trial for high treason. I mean, how's that possible? What a sheltered existence you've had. And we have a very detailed account of the party that happened on this day, thanks to the fact that Nicolas Fouquet was a great patron of the arts, and one of his protégés was Jean de La Fontaine, who was a famous French poet, playwright of the time, and he wrote a letter to a friend a few days later, a bit like that text you send to that friend that missed the party the next day to let them know <laughs> how great it was. And so as he describes it, it, it took place at Fouquet's palatial estate, it was the place to be in France. Versailles existed, but it was just a kind of you know measly castle at this point. To be fair, if you're going to build a vainglorious palace, Alice in your own image. Have a party. Yeah. Well, yes. Well, he had a lot of parties at Vaux-le-Vicomte, which was the estate he had built for himself. So it began with a literal tour of the splendours of the home. There were hundreds of people there, including King Louis XIV, his mother, his brother, and just all the top nobles. Uh, and so the grounds included water fountains, canals, animals. Then there was a sumptuous feast for everyone, of course. And then the star attraction really was a new play by Molière. This is, you know, Molière, the leading playwright of the day. That's cool, isn't it? been given a two-week head start by the way i want you to perform a new play and moliere played nine of the characters in it so he was also he didn't there have much choice at that point you know he's got two weeks he doesn't have much time for the audition <laughs> process there's only one person who knows the lines and that's me <laughs> i'm everyone <laughs> well it wasn't one of his strongest plays it was called les fascheurs it means the boars and it was basically a guy encountering a bunch of different caricatures of various annoying people but again he only had two weeks and he was playing most of the parts himself so not only had he written it in two weeks he staged in two weeks too. It was performed in a sort of impromptu theatre thrown up within the grounds. That apparently went down very well. It was kind of funny thinking that we know now, of course, that Louis XIV was stewing the entire time and plotting Fouquet's arrest, but he did apparently buttonhole Molière afterwards and say, you know, that was great. You know, what a fantastic play. <laughs> You're not getting arrested for treason. <laughs> no. Well, apparently what he did was he pointed at one of the other guests and said, you're missing a, you know, an archetype. You should do a character based on this guy. And Molly, I was like, okay, we'll do. Okay, sounds good. Oh. <laughs> and then it Thanks for co- the suggestion. <laughs> <laughs> or I will behead you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then it all culminated with a fireworks show, which according to Jean de La Fontaine, maybe a bit of literary exaggeration, he said it involved 1,000 fireworks being set off simultaneously. That sounds like a good party. Yeah, it really does. And one detail that you missed, Rebecca, there were 6,000 guests here and... Women were given diamond brooches and men were given thoroughbred horses as their kind of take-home take <laughs> keepsake. My diamond so brooch is a... going to be easier to get home in the carriage. <laughs> That's true. Well, you think so? I guess you ride your souvenir horse home, don't you? <laughs> I mean, notionally, this party was for the glory of Louis Fourteenth, but ultimately this was about showing off the property itself. And Fouquet had a really good eye for talent. He had brought together the architect Louis Laveau, the interior decorator Charles Lebrun and the landscape designer André Lenotre. And they all, between them, 
put together what became regarded as this absolute Baroque masterpiece. You know, this wasn't just a house. It was actually a palace. You know, it had this huge dome. It had a moat all around it. Inside, you had these tapestries and gilded woodworks and ornate paintings. I mean, it was incredible, so incredible that it came to be the inspiration for Versailles itself when Louis XIV decided to rebuild it. And he used that same talent pool. Yeah, and the process of constructing Vaux-le-Vicomte involved raising to the ground three existing villages and employing thousands of workers. The project is estimated to have cost 16 million livres. It's really difficult to try and calculate what that would be worth now, but at the time it was probably worth about a million pounds in 1650s money. Yeah, but I don't think Fouquet was counting the pennies either, was he? Because it wasn't his money, frankly. Like, he came from a decent amount of money, didn't he? But he married well twice. And so he had loads of money that he'd inherited that he decided to put into this massive chateau. And I know this didn't work out well for him, ultimately, which we're getting on to. But I was impressed by the fact that it only took three years to construct. I mean, you look at pictures of Vaux le and it is... It's not on the scale with Versailles, which deliberately then did eclipse it, but it is... Mm. Even now, hundreds of years later, a beautiful looking building, isn't it? It's it's an impressive architectural feat in this period to have erected that so quick. Well, I think in those days you didn't have to ask planning permission before you knocked down peasant villages. It probably helped (laughs) speed things along. Well, one of the other places that at least Louis thought that the money was coming from was the royal purse itself. Mm. And in fact, at this time, the king was comparatively poor. He'd come to the throne at the age of four, and then the fronde occurred during his youth, which was this uprising by the Paris uh, Parlement, which was the powerful law court, which was driven by hatred of the Cardinal Jules, Cardinal Mazarin. And the so there was this uprising against the crown as well as the prime minister. And this marked the beginning of a long civil war that became known as the Fronde. And in the course of this, Louis really suffered great poverty and fear and humiliation. And Great poverty? Really? I mean, by French <laughs> royal standards, right? You're still talking about someone who can afford to build quite a nice house. Sure. But he did actually go hungry at various points. So he was sort of in Bittered. And that period is seen as a foundational moment in his character and also why he felt like a bit of an underdog come this party and why he was so pissed off about how lavish it was. Yeah, and this was also the foundational moment in his relationship with Fouquet. Fouquet was about 20 years older. He was already an adult. He was already extremely wealthy. He'd already held various high judicial posts by the time that Louis was in his teens. And so during this uprising, Fouquet had really thrown himself behind the royal family, which at that time was represented by uh, Louis's mother, Anne of Austria, who was acting as his regent, and by Cardinal Mazarin as well. And of course, once Louis had stabilised position, that won him even higher posts, more wealth, more privileges. And in 1653, he was appointed superintendent of finance, which was an extremely high position. It was basically being in charge of the royal household's finances. And he tried to organise in a pretty disastrous state, not just because of this civil war, but also because tax evasion, as we would call it now, was totally rampant among the aristocracy. So there just wasn't the revenue coming in. And at points, Fouquet even borrowed on his own credit to try and pay off some of the crown's debt. And it seems like that wasn't really necessarily out of the kindness of his heart. He was sort of gambling that his efforts would pay off and he would remain in favour at the court. And he just wasn't able to make much headway. And instead, over time, he ended up becoming associated with the poor state of the finances, even though mm. it seems like he did put some effort in to try and straighten them out. There was also a courtier, wasn't there, Colbert, who had the ear of the king, who now historians reckon was plotting basically against Fouquet the whole time because 
it can be seen as a bit of a myth, this. You know, so the, the story yeah. goes that Louis went along to this grand party, was so consumed with anger and jealousy and envy by the scale and the opulence of the festivities being held before him that seething with resentment, he went home and said, let's find a way to get this guy put in prison. But people say, no, he'd already made that decision before he went. He got arrested yeah. three weeks later, which was a decision that had been made prior to the party and actually makes him much more of like a cold hard case, doesn't it? That he went along to the party, enjoyed the entertainment, shook Molière's <laughs> hand, knowing that the guy was going to get arrested in a few weeks' time. So then we get some other famous characters from French history. D'Artagnan is sent yep. to arrest Fouquet uh, whilst he's visiting in Nantes. Yeah, the, the musketeer, I had no idea that he was real. This came as a total shock to Fouquet. He was astonished when D'Artagnan turned up and arrested him on the 5th of September, not on the night. A lot of people think it was the next day because Voltaire later wrote, at six in the evening, Fouquet was the king of France. At two in the morning, he was nobody, which, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's well written, but it doesn't reflect what happened. And so then there followed an extremely biased trial, which packed with judges and lawyers who were loyal to Colbert, his rival who plotted against him. Yeah, and he represented himself because he was a trained lawyer. And the trial went on for three years, which is something <laughs> extraordinary. I mean, it shows the resistance that there obviously was amongst the chattering classes. Like, on the one hand, this is someone the king wants behind bars. On the other hand, we can all see that this is trumped-up charges of treason. And, you know, we don't want to tell the king he's wrong because we don't want our heads to roll. But also, we don't want this guy to suffer too much. In the end, he was sentenced to exile for his role in personal enrichment from the royal revenues and high treason. But the king then intervened to say, no... You got the answer wrong there after three years. Um, Actually, I'd like him sentenced to life in prison, please. And that is what happened to him. He didn't see his wife for 15 years. Yeah, he spent that time in Pignerol, an alpine prison fortress, which seemed to have been used to house political outcasts who the king wanted to keep out of the public eye. The conditions were pretty comfy. You know, it was no vol-le-vicomte, but it was pretty pretty nice. However, do you know what? He had a valet in prison. The valet's name was Eustache Doge, and he is the man who has been recently identified by historical research as the man in the Iron Mask. Whoa. French literary figures all over the place. (laughs) Yeah, people that you thought were fake turn out to be real it turns out they all knew each other and they all lived in the same house was Pepe Le Pew involved in this story (laughs) (laughs) tomorrow being a civil servant the showbiz aspect of meteorology wasn't really something that we were in for love the show support the show patreon.com slash retrospectors part of the ACAST creator network